Well, I want to jump into the text, but before I do, I want to remind you of where we were last week, because this is a letter from John to the church. And he had he'd moved toward a practical application in the letter and started giving some orders, some directions over the last couple messages that we've read. And last week, he ended in verse 10. This is where we ended. No, he didn't end. This is where we ended and left off when he said, this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. Now, I ended with that thought last week, and we talked about John is writing to the church. So when he's using this family language of brothers and sisters, he's talking about those of us who have become children of God because we put faith and trust in Christ. And we've been adopted into the family of God. And so John says that you, you will know, you can know that you're a child of God if you have love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you don't, then you, that's when you have to begin to question whether or not you're truly a child of God. Well, that's a sign or evidence that you're a born-again believer. Now, what this week does, these next two paragraphs, it expands on that thought. Beginning in verse 11, let me read the text, verse 11 down through verse 18. He says, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does, he, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. So John kind of gets right to it here. And one of the things that you'll see John do in his writing, especially in his letter, is he'll use this comparison and contrast to help draw out a, a picture for us of his meaning. Now, I'm going to keep this pretty simple. We're going to look at two different main thoughts here. The first one is this. John wants us to understand that the, the, this world, the world, and we've talked about his use of the world, and we'll touch on it again here in a moment. The world is marked by selfishness. Now, he fleshes that out here and, and kind of expands on it as he uses Cain and Abel as his example. But in verse 11, he says, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. Reaching back to what he taught last week, how you can tell the difference between a child of God and a child of the evil one. You'll know that somebody's a child of God if he loves his brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. When I read that, I thought, what, which beginning? Because if you go read Genesis chapter 1, that's not necessarily in the Gospel of John. He remembers Jesus' words. He remembers that night. He remembers that scene. He remembers Jesus said all this right before he died. And so you see that wrapped up when he's teaching us about love in chapter 3, verses you know, 11 through 18 here in the, the paragraph that we've chosen. He, he can't get away from remembering Jesus' words and what Jesus taught him has become ingrained in him. He, Jesus went on to say there, just as I have loved you, 
You're to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So John, when he says, this is what you've heard from the beginning, I believe he's, he's reminding them that Jesus' primary command is love. Love God and love your brothers and sisters. That's the primary command, and that's what he's been teaching the, the church from the beginning of the church. That's what he's been teaching these people since he's been working with them. And he's going to use this illustration there of what the world looks like compared to what the church should look like or what the marks of a, of a disciple of Christ are. And he uses this illustration of Cain and Abel, reaching all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, the first family. You think families are dysfunctional now. Families have been dysfunctional since the very first one, going all the way back to the first family after sin entered into this world. And so we've asked this question before, how should we expect lost people to act? Lost, right? Why we expect those who don't know Christ to act any differently, uh, it's just foolishness. Cain and Abel were dysfunctional kids in this family. And so he says, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one. So he's going to tell us three things about Cain here. First of all, he tells us where Cain came from. Cain was of the evil one. He was of this world. Okay. It's the same thing he's been building upon earlier in chapter three. So just keep that in mind. This is, once again, we, we're looking at a paragraph or two a week. John wrote a letter that would, they would have read through. And so let's, let's make sure that we keep in context. So John's been teaching this direction already. Cain was of the evil one. So what did Cain do? He murdered his brother. And why did he do it? He did it because he was jealous. He did it because his, his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And he didn't like that his brother was more righteous than him. And so he killed him. He was jealous of that relationship that Abel had with God. He was jealous. He ate him up to such an extent that he, he couldn't stand it, and he ends up killing his brother over it. Now, that's not where it started. It didn't begin with murder. It began with an with a evil heart. It began with, with who he was at the innermost part of his being because he was not of God. He was of the evil one. And that's what John is trying to teach us here. And so the world is marked by this selfishness. What it boiled down to was Abel had something that Cain didn't. And because Abel had something that Cain didn't, Cain was jealous. And, and his, this dysfunction was rooted in selfishness. It's all about me. That's what this murder boiled down to. It was all about Cain, what he wanted, what he desired, and his feelings. He felt it was unfair that God treated his brother differently. Selfishness is rooted in jealousy. Selfishness leads to hatred. And you see that mark in Cain's life. He, he hated his brother. He hated him to the extent that he was willing to murder him. He was willing to take his life. Dr. David Allen, in his commentary and in his sermon, he's preached on, on this passage. He points out that in, in this passage, you see four different levels of relationship. On the basest level of relationship, you see murder. You also see 
hatred expressed. You see indifference to other people. And then you see love. Those are four different levels that you see in this, in this text. Beginning from the verse 11 down, as he illustrates the hatred that, that was residing in Cain because of the evil one, it actually starts with that, that hatred and murder and then indifference. But he did it because his deeds were evil. At the root of selfishness, and this reaches this point, the third point here, reaches down into a little bit further in the text, is also agreed. You've got it. I want it. That's also part of what leads to murder here. Now, ultimately, selfishness, jealousy, hatred, and greed don't always lead to murder. But they're all characteristics of someone who belongs to the evil one. Just hear that again. Even though you haven't gone as far as to murder your brother or murder your neighbor, and if you're sitting here, that's probably the case. You would be watching it from prison, more than likely, if you had. So most of us have not gone that far. But the characteristics of jealousy, hatred, and, and greed are all rooted in that same selfishness where life has to be about me and I have to get mine. That's basically what theft, burglary, homicide, all comes out of is, is, is hatred, jealousy, or greed. And those, those areas, all three of those characteristics are characteristics of someone whose heart belongs to the evil one. To get away from that, you have to have a heart that has been changed by the power of God. When your heart is changed by the power of God, he'll begin to make you unselfish. And that'll lead to, to losing the jealousy, losing the hatred, and losing greed. Now, before I move on to the second half, the, the, the second big point here, the mark of the Christian is love. Before I move on to that, I, I want to I pause for a moment and be, be cautious because there's, there's two things going on here. One, John is illustrating those who are lost and those who are saved. Okay? Those who belong to the evil one as opposed to those who belong to God. Okay? They're children of God. Children of the devil and children of God. That's the big picture he's given us here. And that's what he's telling us uh, are, are indicators or evidence that we belong in one of those two camps. And yet, I find myself as a Christian periodically being impacted by jealousy, greed, and hatred. Do you ever struggle with jealousy over something that your brother or sister in Christ or your blood brother and sister has experienced that you don't get? Do you, have, do you ever experience greed? You wish you had what they have. Do you ever experience hatred because you're so angry with what a brother or sister in Christ or a brother and sister whose blood kin has done to you or to somebody, a friend of yours? 
Yes. I, I think the answer for every one of us is we are tempted and we struggle at times with jealousy, greed, and even hatred. And so there's a stark warning here for us as a reminder that when we begin to sense that jealousy, we begin to struggle with, with greed, we begin to hate or, or have disdain for our brothers and sisters, we need to bring it to the Lord and repent of it and, and check that. Because if that is left unchecked, we'll see ourselves going down to a, a road where the evil one has more and more influence over us. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be confessional, flat honest here. Uh, been hunting with my brother out there for a couple of years. And I absolutely love it. And I love the fact that God has blessed him. This week, he got a great deer. And I was jealous. Now, he got a true trophy buck. And I struggled some with jealousy. Now, am I the only one who's a believer that struggles with that? I, I don't believe so. But I think that we have to recognize that. And we have to realize that when we struggle with issues like that, that's sin. And if we embrace it and we hold on to it and we continue down that path, we're going to allow the evil one an entry into our lives. We're going to allow him to control in our lives that is unhealthy. That we will end up separated in a way from our heavenly father. Not, not that we're lost. Please hear me there. Because we're still children of God. And, and all that John says we have to do is confess our sin and repent, and we're immediately restored as a child of God. And yet, we need to be cautious and realize that this world, the evil of this world oftentimes can try to put its mark on our life. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 7 struggled so much. When he said, I, sometimes I do the things I, I, I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I want to do. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. He has saved me. One of these days we'll be separated from this battle against our, our sin and the battle against the things of the world. But for now, we have to recognize that it's a battle and not allow the marks of the evil one to have an impact on us as the children of God. So moving on from there, what are the marks of a Christian then? The mark of a Christian is love, especially uh, beginning down in verse 16. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What is love. Is it feeling good feelings or having good thoughts about somebody? Well, I think that's maybe kind of where it begins, but that's not the extent of true love. True love is expressing, expressing that love and kindness and generosity to those around us. What's it mean to, to love one another? First, before we get into to, to five characteristics here, understand that we have one Really, 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 really good example of true love. And that example of true love is Christ himself. The God of the universe, the creator of all, stepped out of heaven. And as I was mentioning a little while ago, he, he tells them in John chapter 13, this is a new command that I give you, love one another. 
Now, he's telling guys that oftentimes would not have gotten along. He's talking to to the old rugged redneck fishermen out there who had language problems, and we see it even expressed in Scripture some. Uh, they're, They're in there with the tax collector who they as Jews would have hated that tax collector, and yet here they've been walking together as Jesus has been teaching them and training them, and they're coming from different backgrounds. They're coming from different socioeconomic places, and God has used them. He's called them together to be his disciples, and, and he's going to use them to launch the church. And he tells those guys who look different, who act different, who come from different backgrounds, who come from different kind of careers. He tells those guys, you, this is a commandment to you, you love one another. And this is how the world's going to know that you're my disciples when you love one another. Now, as I say that, I, I get irritated when people do this to me all the time. It reminds me of my mom or my grandma when they come up to me and they take that finger and they point it like that. I'm afraid it's going to go off at some point. Let's point that to, point the finger at y'all. I apologize for that. But I'll, I'm doing it as I look around this congregation. I see a lot of people that are different. Some of you came from different countries. Some of you came from different continents. Some of you are here from different socioeconomic positions. Some of you are here uh, and, and you've, been, you've been through the struggles early in life. Some of you have been in the military. Some of you have been, uh, some of you probably visited jail. Uh, some of you have been police officers. We come from all different backgrounds. And John's telling us, he's reminding us that Jesus taught us that as the children of God, the world's going to know that we're his disciples when we love one another. And the greatest example he gave us of that is Jesus. Wait a minute. You know, Jesus, Jesus, how could he love everybody? Because, you know, some people are going to hell and some are going to heaven. Well, Jesus expressed his love for everybody that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He didn't die for, for saved people. He died for sinners, all of them. And think back to that, that scene in the upper room in John chapter 13. Right before Jesus started teaching them and he tells them, I give you new commandment to love one another, he had just finished washing their feet. And you realize he washed Peter's feet, who he knew less than 12 hours later was going to deny that he ever even knew him. But get this, not only did he wash Peter's feet, he washed Judas's feet. Right before Judas got up, walked out and betrayed him. So you're telling me that I'm even supposed to love those who might harm me or betray me. Yep. That's a tall order, isn't it? How do we do that? We look to Jesus. Jesus loved. And he loved without qualification. That's what true love is. Love as Christ loved. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, he says. And he says, but this is how we know love. He laid down his life for us. I I imagine that at that moment, John's thinking back to what he actually watched take place there on Calvary. Wow. We can think about it. We've heard the stories. John saw it. You want to know How much Jesus loved you, he spread out his arms and he died for you. 
He took the beating of the cat of nine tails. He took that crucifixion on the cross. This is how we know love. He laid down his life for us. Christ is our example of love. What we see in that, as much as anything else, is love is the exact opposite of the mark that we saw in the world. If the mark of the world is selfishness, the mark of Christ, his love in us is selflessness. He didn't die for himself. He didn't die because he wanted to. He didn't die because it made him look good. In fact, the night before, or the early out morning hours before he died, he even cried out to his father and said, Father, if there's any other way, remove this cup from me. Jesus, in his humanity, because he was fully human and fully God, in his humanity didn't want to die. He didn't want to go to the cross. But he did as an act of absolute selfless love for you and I. That is an example of love that you and I will probably never fully achieve. Oh, we might be willing to selflessly die for a friend or a loved one, but very few people selflessly give up their lives for people who don't even know them, don't even care about them. I'll tell you folks, that's one of the reasons that we ought to honor our first responders, our police officers our military men and women, because those folks have made a choice. They're willing to put their life on the line for us. They're willing to go out there and stand in a, sometimes in a bulletproof vest and sometimes not in front of us against those who would want to do us harm. Jesus took every bullet for us. Love is selfless. Love doesn't originate in the heart of man. Love originates from the throne of God. True love is the kind of love that God expressed toward us that he would send his son to die for us while we were still sinners. True love originates with God. That's why I believe that it's so important for us to understand this. You're going to have a hard time ever working up that kind of love. You can try and try and try to love a spouse or to love a friend or to love a neighbor or love a fellow church member. You can try as hard as you want to love them, and you are never going to be able to love as Jesus loves. Paul tells us that we need to quit trying. We need to walk in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, hear me when I say quit trying. What we end up doing is we, we fall in love with Jesus. We walk in a relationship with the Spirit. And the very first mention of fruit of the Spirit. So when I'm walking in a relationship with the living God, I've surrendered my heart to him. I'm following Christ to the best of my ability as I surrender to him. I'm seeking him. I'm praying. I'm reading his word. His Spirit will produce the fruit in me. And the first mention of fruit in Paul's list is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love and then peace, patience, joy, and so forth. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit. Right after Jesus gave us the command to love one another, in fact, part of what Susan was reading in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me and I in you and you will produce much fruit. It's not up to us to work up that kind of love. In fact, we can't because that kind of love originates in God. It doesn't originate in a broken human heart. It won't originate from our flesh, but it can originate from the spirit of God who dwells inside of the believer. 
Love, like God loves, originates with God. It can flow through the believer as the Holy Spirit produces love through you, but it cannot originate, I don't believe, from the flesh of a human heart, a human being. So love originates with God. And then a couple characteristics of love here. Love is generous. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? One of the marks you're going you're gonna to see of if a believer is truly loving God, he's walking in a relationship with God as he's going to be generous with this world's goods. You're not going to hold too tight to the things of this world. Uh, well, for one, if you're walking in the right relationship with God, you're going to recognize that the things of this world are temporary and what you give away is permanent in its reward. And so the believer, a follower of Christ, is going to be generous in how we handle the goods of this world. And if we see a brother or sister who's truly suffering, now I don't, I'm not talking about the TV preacher who needs a new uh, airplane because the two that he has are not good enough. That's not what I'm talking about and when it means to be generous as a believer. I'm talking about uh, when I've gone to, to lunch with one of our church members and the waitress is, is he, 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 this guy gets to know the waitress a little bit and, and realizes that the waitress is, is going through a rough spot in life and leaves a $100 tip for that waitress because of the love of God that flows through him. That's generosity that originates in love for people. That it's the generosity that says, Look, I, I have more than what I need. Maybe not all that I want, but I have more that I need. And I see somebody else who's hungry or somebody else who's hurting. That's generosity. Love is generous. And then finally, when you come down to the last verse, he says, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. I want, to, I want to deal with both of these words because the first one tells us that love is action. Love requires action. Love is a verb. Love does something. If I see something out there and I just have my heart moved with compassion, that might be the beginning. That might be the origination of the Spirit of God stirring me. But then if I'm unwilling to do anything about it, I have not shown love. Love requires an action. True, don't love only in word or speech, but in action. When you're given an opportunity to display the love of God, put it on display. And then the second one may be a little bit harder to get a hold of because we tend to think of speaking truth as sometimes harsh. Any, any of y'all out here every once in a while just kind of say things and you wish you could get back in there? I'm looking around. I see some laughter out there. I, I won't call out names, so I'm tempted. <laughs> I won't call out names because people could call out my name too. That's part of the problem here. Every once in a while, we let things slip out that, that we wish we could stick back in. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being harsh. Uh, I'm not talking about... Um, being undisciplined in our, in our language, but I'm talking about love is displayed in speaking truth. Why is that? If I see somebody who is 
headed toward destruction. And I don't warn them. I have not shown them love. And maybe you would say, well, if I, if I tell them not to do that, they're going to be angry at me. I, I don't want to do that. I just want to love them through it. Well, what am I going to do? Love them until they've gone off the cliff? You know, the most permanent picture of that issue is if you have a family member who does not know Jesus as Savior, and you haven't told them the truth, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, you're thinking about this, and you're going, well, if I go tell my parent, or I go tell my cousin, or I go tell my child, if I, if I go tell them my beliefs that Jesus is the only way, they're going to be angry with me, and they might. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to love them. I'm just going to love them. And then they go on never hearing the truth, die outside of Christ, and spend eternity in hell. That's not love. Love will be expressed in speaking truth. Not harshly, not angrily, but love will speak the truth. Because truth in Christ is our only hope. The characteristics of this world, the mark of this world is selfishness. I would suggest that sometimes we don't share the gospel. We don't tell people the truth because we're selfish. We're worried somebody may not like us. We're worried somebody may be upset with us. We're worried that somebody may... Uh, get angry at us and sometimes we just we don't share the gospel because we're selfish we're worried about how it might reflect on us when when we're so in love with that person that we cannot see them spend eternity separated from God when we love them that much we'll tell them about the Jesus who saved us who can also save them the mark of someone who truly walks in a relationship with God is that we love in action and in truth. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory honor and praise.